If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. that time again happy friday it is matt connerton unleashed and we are live from the studios of wmnh 95.3 fm in glorious downtown manchester new hampshire also on comcast 97 if you're in manchester and hello to all of our online listeners across the nation and around the globe you can go to my website mattconnerton.com for all of your live streaming options social media links contact info show archives etc etc today is friday april 28th 2023 so nice to have you all with me by the way i played that for uh, i saw jay fed in the chat i said oh, i haven't played that in a while uh dark brandon's uh, think about what you'd think about remix from the remix bros if you're looking for that on youtube and i also played before that uh, a band i was in called uh chemical distance uh i played our song we had a song called uh, the carnival and i happened to hear i guess there's a carnival coming uh, maybe it's every year. I, I, I haven't paid attention to that stuff really uh, since I was a kid, but, um, I heard on the morning show, uh, Peter White and, uh, and Matt and Kyle was there too, uh, talking about, uh, uh, the carnival coming and DJ Steve was there as well talking about the carnival. And I, I was like, Oh, you know what? Uh, I was on a song. I played based on a song called carnival. Maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll once again, open with something from one of the bands I was in. Why not? It's Friday. It's Friday. So uh, that's why I played that, if you're wondering. It's a, it's unconventional. It's a, I always had a very hard time in that band. Um, we all did, all three of us. We were a trio, and then we, we added a, a live drummer. So then we became a, a uh, what, uh, not a trio, a, a quattro? I don't know. Um, but um, <laughs> I always had a hard time in that band uh, describing it to people. Of, of any of the bands that I've been in, that one was easily the most unique in terms of our sound you know it was like a mix of hip-hop and industrial and i don't know uh, there was no real genre for us to fit in but anyway that's why i played that if you are curious so welcome everybody on this glorious friday you know friday is my favorite day of the week uh, it's my long day here at WMNH because not only do I do this show, but then I'm back later uh, from 8 to 11 p.m. for Retro Spectrum Radio with Paul E.C. I have the honor, honor and privilege of being one of Paul's co-hosts on that show along with our friends uh, DJ Steve and uh, Mike from Queen City Cabinetry, who I also see in the chat room. Queen City Cabinetry, of course, one of our great sponsors here at WMNH. Uh, in the historic Sunbeam Mall, and Mike is also one of our co-hosts on Retro Spectrum Radio. So uh, perhaps we'll see Mike this evening. He's been out with an injury. But uh, yeah, so uh, Fridays are a lot of fun here 
at uh, WMNH. Um, today on the uh, show, too, in the coming up at, in the second hour, at the top of the hour at 5 p.m., we're going to do Eric Pilcher's classic film review, as we do every Friday. And this week, the subject is the film Double Indemnity. Uh, and again, it's a case of a movie that I've never seen. I've always been aware of Double Indemnity. It's... Uh, it would be in the uh, it is in the uh, the film noir genre, but I've never actually seen the movie. Uh, and as is so often the case, listening to Eric's review makes me want to see it. So now I'll have to see it. I've got to add it to the list. But uh, yeah, it, it it sounds really good, and I I feel like Eric too has has really improved a lot on the reviews and in terms of the the sound quality and and also uh, because he records them at you know where he is in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And uh, and then sends them to me, but also in his uh, his confidence and his delivery and and so forth. I I uh, I think he's um, come a long way with that. So we're very happy to have him as part of the uh, family here on the program. Uh, if you'd like to, uh, so that'll be coming up at 5 p.m. If you'd like to join us in the meantime, the studio line is open 603-250-6007, 603-250-6007. You can also text me at 617-917-4476. I'm on social media at Matt Connerton. You can email me, Matt, at mattconnerton.com. And, of course, you can interact and opine in the Facebook live chat. We love when you do that, and we encourage that. But the best thing to do so that we can hear and enjoy your dulcet tones is to give us a call at 603-250-6007. Oh, uh, Paul E.C. is in the chat room and says, uh, tonight's a theme on Retrospectrum Radio. We're featuring number one songs of April 28th from 1970 to 1995. Excellent. That'll be fun. I like like when uh, when we do shows like that. Uh, so that'll be great. So that will be tonight on Retrospective Radio. Uh, this week, of course, uh, we also have uh, Granite State of Mind at 6 p.m. as we do every Friday. Uh, I heard Peter saying that uh, this week's show is going to be a replay, but they'll be back with new shows next week. Uh, and they will be, of course, uh, during the warm weather, now that we're into not summer, but uh, the summer the summer half of the year, <laughs> the warm weather half of the year. Um, although it hasn't been that warm lately, actually. Oh, today it got up to 60 but uh, they'll be back in the barn, or back in the barn, as some in this, uh, in this region would say, uh, at Pembroke City Limits, recording the shows there. And uh, those, are, those are a lot of fun to listen to. So we look forward to that. Uh, but again, the studio line is open, 603-250-6007, 603-250-6007. I do have a, a specific subject that I want to bring up today that I had hinted at. I gave you a little teaser yesterday. I told you a little bit about it, but... Uh, uh, which we'll get into in a moment. But I do want to say hello to everybody in the Facebook live chat. But there is some bipartisan legislation, my friends. See, the two parties can work together. Unfortunately, the thing that they're working together on is uh, something that's not good. <laughs> but you, we'll get to that in a moment. And by the way, uh, some of you might disagree with me. Some of you, Some of you might think that it is good. So we'll see. I look forward to facilitating the discussion. Uh, Eric Pilcher, uh, Eric, we were just talking about you in the film review. Eric joins us in the chat room and says, good afternoon from work, everyone. Good afternoon, sir. Uh, JFED is, is in the chat and says, good afternoon, everyone. And he uh, he quoted some lyrics uh, from that uh, Think About What You'd Think About. <laughs> is it what you'd think about? Yeah, it is what you'd think about. Although I think in the song he actually said, yeah, he does say that, doesn't he? He does say those exact words. Uh, JFED uh, quoting some lyrics from the song, let's be honest. I'm serious about it. <laughs> uh, let's see. 
Mike from uh, Queen City Cabinetry, I did mention, is in there as well. And uh, Paul E.C. joins us. Uh, but um, let's get into it, shall we? So this is what I was uh, referring to yesterday. I think it was yesterday I'd mentioned this. Yesterday or the day before. Oh, by the way, if you missed yesterday's show, please check it out. Peter Pappas was here with us. He performed live in studio during the second hour with his acoustic guitar and his harmonica. Just phenomenal. And I've heard so much positive feedback on yesterday's show. Of course, uh, we archive all the shows at uh, WMNHradio.org. You can download it, stream it, do whatever. And it's on Facebook. And we'll get it up on YouTube and everything, too. But uh, Peter was just uh, amazing. What a, what a voice that guy has. Um, he does a lot of really good covers, but I, I really like his originals, too. His originals are uh, amazing. But uh, all right. But, but we must focus on the now. This is from Wired.com. A bill would ban kids under 13 from joining social media. The legislation would insert the government into online platforms, age verification efforts, a move that makes some U.S. lawmakers queasy. And it makes me queasy as well, my friends. Uh, you do not have to be a U.S. lawmaker to be queasy about this. You can just be a normal citizen like myself. Uh, I object to this. I think this is a very bad idea. I've got a few different reasons. We'll look at the article in depth in a moment, but I've, I've got some problems here. Just a few things off the top of my head. And by the way, some of you may disagree with me on this, or you may have some ambivalence about this. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. 603-250-6007. And uh, we can facilitate some discussion. Oh, Jenny joins us in the chat room and says, Shalom, peeps. Um, I, I don't like this. I think this is a, a bad idea. So number one, and we'll get into the details in the article in a moment, but number one, if you are a longtime listener of the show, you know that I am very, very nervous anytime the government wants to do something new in terms of regulating uh, the Internet, uh, specifically social media. Uh, there's always uh, these different ideas about how to how the government can regulate social media, you know, for our own good. Uh, maybe some of this is the libertarian in me coming out, but uh, I don't like the idea of the government getting involved in social media. I oppose uh, the repeal of Section 230. Uh, for example, we've discussed that many times on the show. If you repeal Section 230, then uh, that would allow uh, uh, you could actually sue social media companies for content on their platforms uh, that are uh, content posted by individual users. These uh, companies would then become liable for anything that is posted on their platform. Uh, I think that would be the end of social media if you were to do that. And listen, these companies already police what uh, uh, goes on their platforms anyway. Uh, we might not always agree with how they do it, how they approach it, what the rules are, what goes and what doesn't go, etc. But they do do that. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I oppose all of that. I think Section 230 should remain in place, etc. Um, and also, in a broader context, my attitude has always been, has always been, please, government, keep your hands off our Internet. The Internet should remain as free and open as possible. Obviously, there is some regulation of the Internet in terms of laws. You know, uh, you, you can't uh, defraud people on the Internet legally, right? You can't, uh, you can't uh, distribute uh, uh, things that are illegal on the Internet, uh, you know. Uh, like, uh, you know, child pornography, things like that. Um, there are uh, there are some common sense things that from an 
ethical and moral standpoint, of course, uh, need to be prohibited on the Internet, obviously. Uh, but uh, we have to be very careful about not letting uh, not letting too much of that in terms of regulation and the government sticking their noses in on the Internet. Uh, we should not allow uh, that uh, uh, beyond the, the bare minimum necessary, in my view. Um, I don't want the government ruining the Internet. So I get very, very concerned. And again, with social media, I get very, very concerned about the government coming in and... Um, you know, there are people, uh, some people are on the uh, other end of the issue, like all the way on the other end of the issue. Some people say that that these um, social media companies like Facebook and Twitter and, and others, that they should be, that we should actually nationalize them, that they should become a part, they should be treated as utilities because, uh, uh, because they are considered uh, public square. They have become such a mode for people to communicate and express themselves and disseminate information publicly that the government should take over, which I absolutely 100% object to. Um, again, I, I don't want the government uh, controlling, you know, because people will say, oh, well, you know, right now you have people uh, posting reckless and irresponsible things on the internet, on, on Facebook, for example. Uh, you might have people posting election misinformation. You might have people... Uh, posting uh, COVID misinformation and so forth, and uh, people uh, posting hate, people using Facebook to recruit for their hate groups. And we do see a lot of that go on, absolutely. And I think Facebook does what they can to try to try to uh, tamp that down. But what makes anyone think, I, I guess if you're someone who thinks that these being treated as utilities and the government nationalizing them and taking them over, I guess my question to you would be, um, what makes you think that, or what makes you trust the government? Let me put it that way. What makes you trust the government anymore with that? Um, yeah, yeah, they might stop, uh, they might do a better job in some ways, I don't know, uh, than these companies themselves of, of uh, controlling uh, certain things that are dangerous on their platforms. Uh, but do you really trust the government to, um, I mean, once you've got, once you've treated one of these like a utility and you've got full control over it, you can really control the messaging like never before uh, that goes out there. Do you trust the government that much? Uh, I don't. <laughs> so anyway, um, I say uh, keep the government's hands off the Internet. I've also I brought up many times on the show. And again, I would invite you if you don't believe me, if, if you're someone who does trust the government in terms of making laws and rules and restrictions about social media or the internet in a broader sense. Again, I would just invite you, go to YouTube, not right now, stay with the show, <laughs> but afterward. Go to YouTube and look up uh, look up any uh, hearing where you've got somebody, like I'll, I'll often use uh, Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook, or, or I'm sorry, Meta as an example, right? When he goes and testifies before Congress and listen to some of the questions that these that that our elected lawgivers and overlords ask Mark Zuckerberg. Just listen to some of the questions that they ask and then some of the follow-up questions that they ask and ask yourself as you're watching this, do these people have any idea what they're doing and what they're talking about? And uh, and, and I always say, too, listen, uh, a perfect example, I, I try very, very hard not to be ageist. I find myself saying that a lot these days, but... I try very hard not to be ageist, but I don't particularly want 90-year-old Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa to be making decisions 
uh, that affect how I and you and everyone else uses the internet. I don't. I'm sorry. He doesn't get a vote as far as I'm concerned. Or uh, 90-year-old Diane Feinstein, who I realize is currently not uh, able to come to work anyway. That's, a, that's another subject. She, she absolutely should resign, but we're not going to get into that right now. It, it's, I, 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 <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other subject, but, uh, but I digress. Um, I, I, again, I, I, I don't mean to be ageist, but I don't want, I'll just say it. I don't want very old people, uh, making decisions about very young technology. And I don't mean young, I mean young in terms of the user base. Uh, there are very old people who use, uh, uh, technology. I mean, young technology in terms of technology that we haven't always had in the grand scheme of things. These things are still, uh, social media is still relatively new. You know, uh, we certainly didn't have it when I was growing up. So, so anyway, that's my, my first issue. I don't want the government doing any more than the bare minimum necessary in terms of the internet and more specifically social media. So that's my first problem with this bill that would ban kids under 13 from joining social media. Problem number two, and again, this is kind of the libertarian in me coming out, but also the free market capitalist. Um, uh, and and or, or you know conservatives might agree with me on this part too. Um, I don't. Uh, this this would be another example of the government uh, getting involved in how you raise your kids. Um, I think you, as a parent, and I realize as someone who is childless, it's easy for me to say these things. I get that. I'm, I'm, that's not lost on me. But having said that, acknowledging that. I do not want the government telling you as a parent whether or not your child is ready to engage on social media and whether they have the maturity and the sense of responsibility and the sophistication and so forth to make good choices on social media and in terms of who they interact with and content, et cetera, et cetera. I want you to make that decision as a parent. I don't want the government making that decision for you. Um, again, this bill would ban kids under 13, under 13. So if your child is 12 years old or maybe 12 and a half or 12 and three quarters and, uh, and they're, they're, they're bright and they're mature for their age and you uh, think uh, you would be perfectly fine with them having a social media account, a Facebook account. Nope, uh, the government says you can't. And the government is going to hold you criminally liable if you allow your child to have such an account. Uh, so that's my that's my second problem. And we'll get to the, the third problem is a big one, and we'll get to that in a moment. But uh, Mike Doyle is on the line. Hi, Mike. Hey, Matt. How goes it? Good. How are you? Very good, thanks. Very good. Um, hey, I, I just popped you on there, and I was listening to your subject. And here's the question I have. Do you trust parents? Right, right now, they're pretty much failing, right, because – Kids, it's almost like an epidemic online where kids can get pretty much anything they want from drugs to guns to ways to make bombs to uh, on the and on the social medias. I don't know. I'm not on them, but I hear about all the shaming going on, causing, you know, so 10 percent of young women to commit suicide or think about suicide. So I guess what they're trying to do is put a Band-Aid on a cut which is better than just letting the cut ooze. Um, so I understand your theory. I'm, I'm for smaller government, 
and I really don't want them in my living room, but we got to, how do we stop? What's the answer? I guess is the question. What's well, the alternative answer? Well, I, I got to tell you, Mike, uh, you surprised me because uh, some would say, and I'm not necessarily saying this myself, but some might hear you and think that that if you're more comfortable with the government making these decisions, you, my friend, you're sounding kind of like, don't take this uh, wrong, but you're sounding kind of like a liberal. Well, no, but <laughs> who else can do it? And unless I'm, you put it on the I'm half, unless you put it on the companies themselves. Yeah, yeah. I'm 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 half kidding, by the way. Only half though. Because, no, I understand. Because... I understand. I'm not no, don't <laughs> dude, I don't take anything personal. <laughs> I know. I'm just having trying to have a nice conversation no, with you, but no, I know. who else? So what do we do about the problem? I guess is the question. There's three factions, right? There's the, the parent, there's the government, and then there's the company that's putting this out mm-hmm. that's allowing it to happen. So should we put more pressure on the companies to say only the only thing you can a 13 year old can do online is educational is art wise is you know i mean something something non pornography non bomb building non non how do i get a gun non how do i get sure. fentanyl in the shape of candy so i get and that's a big problem so we got to figure out a way to so maybe maybe go after the companies and say, hey, but but how would they do that? I guess is the other question. Well, they, I but mean, we got to do something. I think that uh, well, first of all, I like the idea of putting more pressure on the social media companies. That's a free market uh, uh, solution. And uh, ah, you know, someone hearing me say that might think I'm a Republican, but talking about a free market solution. But see, it, it's we're all yeah. over the place, Mike. It's great. But uh, no, again, I'm half kidding. But no, but um, I, I think that. Uh, yeah, I I think that I, I trust the free market with this much more than the government. But I also think that um, when I go, when I'm on social media, I don't see a lot of kids on there to begin with. So part of this to me seems like it might be a solution in search of a problem. And I don't like solutions in search of problems. And again, this is my libertarian side coming out because I always say, if you're going to propose any kind of a new law, you've got to convince me that this law is actually doing something positive and that it's not just a feel-good kind of thing. Like when I'm on Facebook, I use Facebook. I don't really use Facebook that much for personal stuff, more for business and stuff. But I don't see I don't see a lot of kids. Like I don't see anybody really under 13 uh, even showing up on my feed for friends suggestions anyway. So yeah. I, I don't think well, there are, I don't think there are a lot of young kids on social media to begin with. So I don't think that we oh, need I, to be using the force of government getting involved uh, because uh, I, I just I don't I'm very skeptical that it's even happening. And I'm someone who uses social media every day because I use it for right. business and marketing purposes and to promote the show and various I, other things. I think you're being I think you're being a little bit naive as to young people using the Internet. I, I don't know. Well, I, I'm every saying time I see Again, High school kids and stuff, they got a phone in their hand. And no, 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 Mike. Instagramming you, you, somebody or texting somebody. No, or, you misunderstand. No, no, no. Of course, every high school kid in the country is probably uh, on Facebook. No, no, no. I'm talking right. about I'm talking about under 13 because this bill, the, the, the point of this bill is to ban kids under 13 from being on social media. But when I'm on social media, I don't see anybody who looks like they're under 13 to begin with. So I don't know where these kids are that they're so worried about. You know what yeah, I mean? I, that, I that's, what, that's what Again, I'm saying. I don't know how it works, but are you anywhere near a, a, a chat or whatever you guys do that a 13s would be jumping in too? Um, or do they have their own 
So they have their own thing going, you know what I mean, which would all fit with all 12, 13, 14, 15 year olds or something and have their own. I, I don't know how it works, but it, yeah, the, the, the question you're, you're asking the question or you're, you're bringing up the topic. But we've it, the, the key is what is the solution? There has to be a solution. We can't keep going down this road where kids can freely get at pretty much everything they want from drugs to guns to you know what I mean? We just can't. We just we got to do something. Well, technology is here. Yeah, it's never going to go away, and so we've got to figure out how to tame technology. Um, I don't know how you do it, and I don't know how I know, you do I it. I don't know how you do it, but so I guess they're saying let's start with this. And well, I don't know what your what is your negative? Just that the government. Yeah, I don't want the government. I do, I do not like the. I get very very concerned anytime I see anything like this. The government's going to start sticking their nose in how social media works. It's it that is a slippery slope that scares the hell out of me. I I I am very very nervous about that. Yeah, well, one can make a a little bit of a case for the last election. There might have been some, there might have been some media or some government factions or media that. You know, push push their narrative one way or the other, and uh, but um, I, and I agree with that. I don't I don't want the government in anything that that has to do with that. But I guess they're saying, what is the alternative? Well, parents. You know? I mean, ultimately, ultimately, parents have to be parents and and keep an eye on what their kids are doing. Yeah. Easier said than done, obviously. But right, that's um, the, that's the biggest. But I don't know how to, in the armor right there. But I don't know how to fix that either. So <laughs> right, parents parents aren't being parents. They should be and watching out and. Mm-hmm. You know, saying, you know, you can go on these sites, giving them alternatives so they can go on, see their friends, talk about school, talk about art, talk about the girl, you know, Jenny likes Tommy. And, you know, in the fifth grade, you know, there's, I would think there's ways to do that. I don't um, think. Yes. Yeah, I don't know. Though. I, I just, and, uh, I just but don't, I just don't yeah. know what the answer is. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't think there's a lot of fifth graders on social media. I really don't. I don't. I don't. Th- I mean, do fifth graders even have? Maybe some of them have cell phones. I don't know. I, I'm I'm pretty skeptical about that, though. I think a lot of this is. I think a lot of this, Mike. I really do think it's to some degree, at least, uh, a solution in search of a problem. And part of why we end up with things like that is because it looks so good in somebody's campaign ad. This is bipartisan legislation. There's both Democrats and Republicans who are pushing this. And you know what? If they do pass it, regardless of whatever negative consequences there are, ooh, it's going to look so good in all of their campaign ads when they run for re-election, won't it? Ooh, look what look what we did for American families. We're protecting kids, and they'll uh, and and this will splash on the screen. That's that's the the, the game, I think. Right. But I mean, you, you just this bill last week that they voted on the transgender bill, and you got every single Democrat voting against the bill that would say boys playing boys sports, girls playing girls sports. Every single Republican voted for it. Every single Democrat voted against it. That that tells you your system's broken. Because don't tell me there's there's not one Republican that has a transgender nephew or niece and thinks it should be right and should vote that way. And don't don't tell me there's not one Democrat out of 202 or whatever it was that all voted no doesn't have a daughter playing competitive sports that that doesn't feel like, you know, guys should be playing uh, transgender children should be playing uh, amongst amongst women, amongst girls. So Mm -hmm. which is, you know, a hot button right now in the market and the uh, the media these days. But um, I don't that just tells you the system's broken. You know what I mean? If it was. If it was wow. 212, if it was 190 and 24 dissenting for Republicans, 
and 180 and 27-4 or whatever the number, you know, then you say, all right, well, everybody has their opinion and you come up with a vote. But to be 100% split just tells you that our government's not thinking for themselves. They're doing whatever they think is best for their their party. And uh, no matter which way the vote goes, you know what I mean? Uh, well, the, the system so anyways. Based on that, the system's always been broken. There's always been party line votes, and and mo yeah. most oh, mo I agree. Mo most I agree. votes are party line. I agree, but I yeah. just don't. My 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 question to add to your pretty good subject here is um, is what's the answer? How do we how do we stem this tide of craziness going on on the internet? Mm -hmm. Where and there's also the the people luring children into, you know what I mean? Going after mm -hmm. those young kids, they're a little bit vulnerable and saying, "Hey, meet me here." And, mm -hmm. That type of thing, and so there's, there's there's more there's more things I think do you think are going wrong on the internet? But I'm not an expert either, so I don't know. Sure. Maybe some of your uh, listeners can help us out. All right, Mike. Well, but anyways, good. that's it. Yeah, just you know, how what's the answer? I guess is the question. But good subject, though. All right, Mike. Thank you. I appreciate the call. Talk to you later. All right. Take care. Bye bye. All right, that was our friend Mike Doyle. That does open up a line for you, 603-250-6007, 603-250-6007. And uh, our friend Shannon is on the line. Hi, Shannon. Yes, I am. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm just kidding. Uh, off, off the subject, can I go out of left field for a second? Uh, for a brief second. I really don't want to I, I get sidetracked. So. No, you won't. Uh, Retrospectrum. Yep. Holy C. I wanted to be Christine Cagney when I grew up, and there was, now I don't know, this is aging myself, but uh, there's a show. Do, you, do you, Are you familiar with the name? Nope. No idea who that is. Cagney and Lacey. Oh, okay. Yep. I, it was I, a detective show. It was an instrumental. I, rem I, I remember it. I never watched it, but I, I remember the show. Yeah, it was, it was a yeah. big big show. But, but yeah. That was all. I, I can't call into Retrospectrum because I don't know why. Well, Paul, Paul doesn't usually take calls. Only once in a while does he take calls. He's, it's a pretty Yeah, I know, and he's taken mine, but, tightly but formatted he doesn't hear me. Well, yeah, I don't know. So I don't call anymore. Maybe you need I, to... If I call, it's to let you know I'm listening, too. It's my way of saying I'm not in the Facebook, but I'm listening. Oh, well, we appreciate that, Shannon. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. Thank you. You, too. I remember Cagney and Lacey. I never never really watched it, but I do remember it. Um, no, but getting back to what Mike was saying, I, I would just say I, I think... Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of bad things that go on the internet, and uh, but law enforcement does a lot too. Uh, you can never do enough; it's impossible. But law enforcement does a lot to to protect kids. Um, for example, and this has been going on uh, for as long as I can remember, uh, law enforcement will send um, send uh, uh, police uh, into uh, you know into chat rooms online and, and pose as children. Um, and make contact with someone that they think might be harming kids. I don't really want to say anything. I, I don't even like thinking about that stuff. It's so awful. But anyway, uh, but to try to, you know, as a sting operation, to try to get somebody who's doing that, try to, try to, you know, like, um, remember what was that show? To Catch a Predator, you know, that kind of thing. Um, you know, law enforcement does that online sometimes. There's, there's a lot that law enforcement does. Uh, like I said, they can never do enough. Uh, but uh, we only have so much law enforcement resources to go around. And, um, you know, and, and parents, of course, can always do more. Um, not that I, I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm slamming parents either, though. Listen, honestly, I mean, we live in a world where, you know, a lot of um, 
a lot of households only have one parent. There's a lot of single mothers and some single dads too. And, you know, sometimes, uh, uh, you know, you're, you got to work multiple jobs and, you, you know, you can't uh, just to get by really just to provide for your family and you can't be there for your kids as much as you'd like to. There's always, um, there's always economic pressures with that. Um, that's one of the reasons I never wanted to, there's a number of reasons I never wanted to, to have children myself. And that, that is one of them. That's a big one. Yeah. Just the economic pressure. Um, but, uh, you know, but, but I, I don't, uh, but I don't think the government making laws about this is, is, uh, is the answer at all. But, but like I said to Mike too, also, I don't see a lot of kids on, like when I go on Facebook or Instagram, I don't see a lot of children on there. So again, I think this bill, if you're just joining us, we're talking about this bipartisan bill in the Senate that would ban kids uh, under 13 from joining uh, social media. Uh, oh, Crystal, our friend from Illinois, joins us in the chat room and says, hello, everyone. Uh, Scott Robinson says, uh, Mike, you just made an excellent point. I couldn't agree with you more. I'll be thinking about, oh, all they're thinking, oh, I'm sorry, all they're thinking about is their donors. Um, Scott might be using voice to text, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's what... Uh, well, that's what I was saying, too, you know, with a bill like this, which, again, I think is probably a solution in search of a problem, um, because I just don't think there are, are a lot of kids on social media. And even if there are, again, it should be up to the parents, not the government, uh, whether they can be on social media. But like I said, this looks great. This is the kind of thing. This is exactly the kind of thing that looks great in a campaign ad when you're running for reelection. So. There you go, because that's what, obviously, that's what our elected lawgivers and overlords are actually concerned with. Uh, Melanie La Liberty from the great state of Vermont joins us in the chat and says, hey, guys. So, uh, yeah, the uh, two things I, I uh, so I have three big problems with this bill. Um, well, let me give the studio line again, 603-250-6007, 603-250-6007. I have two big problems. I have three big problems with this bill. I'm sorry. I already uh, enumerated the first two. Number one, I don't like the government uh, getting involved in regulating social media. Makes me very concerned or the, the Internet in a broader sense uh, beyond the bare minimum that is necessary. And uh, and the second problem is uh, this is something that uh, parents should be deciding, not the government. Uh, and the third is enforcement. Um, I don't see how this is enforceable. Now, there is something in here about age verification, and we'll look at it when we get to the to the heart of the matter here with the bill itself and this article. But, you know, as it stands right now, anybody can go on social media and put in whatever birth date they want to. Uh, there's not an age verification system. <laughs> Do you want an age verification system? Do you want to have to, if you uh, say you're creating a profile on Instagram, do you want to have to uh, sit there and take photographs of official documents with your date of birth on it, like your driver's license, and then have to submit that, upload that to the social media site before you can get your account? Come on. Um, I don't think that's going to fly. <laughs> <laughs> Americans aren't going to go for that, where it's now a process that they have to go through to prove their age to be able to get on social media. That's just not going to fly. And uh, 
because that's not going to fly, that means you'll never be able to actually have an enforcement mechanism to do this. So it's not enforceable. And even if you do have enforcement mechanisms, and even if the law says that this is going to be enforced, well, so then what happens? Let's say you have a 12-year-old and you allow them to get on social media, whether they do it uh, honestly or whether they have to fudge something, which, like I said, right now, you can put in whatever date of birth you want. So you let your kid, you let your 12-year-old, who you think is mature and responsible enough to be on social media, you let them on, and somebody somewhere uh, in law enforcement finds out, well, this is a law. This has been made law. Oh, you just broke the law. You allowed your 12-year-old. Are they going to come and arrest you? Are you going to prison because you let your your 12-year-old have a Facebook account or an Instagram account? Is that where we're going with this? That's nuts (laughs) if that's where we're going with this. Or what if you didn't know about it? What if they did it behind, what if your kid does it behind your back, right? And then you get a knock at the door one day and Officer Friendly is here to take you away because your 12-year-old, without your knowledge, created uh, a, a Snapchat account, <laughs> right? I, this, this, is, uh, this is crazy town we're going to with this. So uh, again, I absolutely object to this. That's my third big problem with it. Uh, Crystal in the chat says, Part of the problem is today's kids are more technology advanced than their parents and certainly more than the government is agreed 100 percent. They've had hearings in Congress and they had to explain basics to congressmen who had no clue. That's what I was talking about earlier. Uh, The government has historically been behind the times in creation of laws uh, when it comes to the Internet instead of keeping pace with recognizing issues or legalities. Also true. Uh, Do you really want aging congressmen who have no idea on social media or computers in general uh, to. um, Oh, sorry. Uh, (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry, uh, Crystal. uh, The chat room got busy and I lost your comment. Okay, here we go. They've had hearings in Congress uh, and they had to explain uh, basics to congressmen who had no clue. The government has been historically behind. Uh, the times in terms of creation of laws and when it comes to the Internet, instead of keeping pace with recognizing issues or legalities, do you really want aging congressmen who have no idea on social media or computers in general to determine what everyone does? Great points, Crystal. Absolutely. <laughs> Mel McMell joins us in the Facebook live chat and says, what? People make fake accounts? <laughs> Believe it or not, <clears throat> Mel McMell, if that is your real name. I have several of them, by the way. I have several secret identities. I think most people do. And you should. You should always have at least one burner account. So if you get suspended, not that our friend uh, Mel McMell would know anything about that, but if something happens, if you break a rule on social media, you can still get access to social media. Always have a burner account. Uh, Crystal also says uh, in the chat room, there are literally senators uh, who have no idea how to make a tuna sandwich. Remember, during the pandemic, Kamala Harris, as a senator at that time, had to teach one of her colleagues how to make a tuna sandwich. He always put his in the micro... Ooh, gross. That's disgusting. <laughs> um, yeah, it's th- that's why I say I don't want, again, not to sound ageist, but I don't want 90-year-old Congressman Chuck Grassley from Iowa or 90-year-old Diane Feinstein from California making decisions about how we use the Internet. It's not okay. Melanie says, I know, right? That is crazy. Crystal says, my cat Buddy had a Twitter account. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, 
Look, yes, pets sometimes have uh, have social media accounts. We're going to let pets have social media accounts, but your kid who happens to be under 13 can't have one? That is an outrage. Although I think uh, uh, former Senator uh, Rick Santorum once said that uh, uh, if you allow, uh, what did he say? Something about uh, if you allow kids to have social media accounts, next thing you know, uh, dogs will want to have them too. No, I'm sorry. That's not what he said. It was something very different. But uh, but equally absurd and uh, pretty nuts. Anyway, if you know, you know. If you don't, don't worry about it. Um, 603-250-6007 is the studio line. 603-250-6007. Let's get into the details, my friends. Again, this is from Wired.com. The title of the article is, A U.S. Bill Would Ban Kids Under 13 From Joining Social Media. The legislation would insert the government government into online platforms' age verification efforts, a move that makes some U.S. lawmakers queasy and, again, makes yours truly very, very queasy. It says here, A new bipartisan federal proposal introduced in the U.S. Senate today would set a national age limit for using social media, effectively banning anyone under 12 and under from using the apps many children currently spend hours a day on. There are countless efforts floating around Capitol Hill aimed at safeguarding the nation's children from the dangers of social media, but this new measure, known as the Protecting Kids on Social Media Act, takes aim at the algorithms Silicon Valley employs to keep kids on their sites. Specifically, it bars children under 13 from creating accounts on social media apps, which also greatly while also greatly curtailing the algorithms tech companies could deploy on people between 13 and 17 years old. Users under 13 would still be able to view online content, provided they aren't logged into an account. Okay, so, well, with some things that wouldn't work, obviously you have to log in, but YouTube you can use without logging in. Um, The bill would also require a parental consent before anyone under 18 could create a profile. Aha, uh-huh. it's just more nanny state nonsense. Really? So, uh, 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 <laughs> you're, you're, serious, I didn't even know that was in here. So a 17-year-old wants to make a Facebook account. They have to get permission from mommy or daddy? That's nuts. I'm sorry. This is not going to fly. Um. By the way, if you don't know what algorithms are, uh, and I think most people probably do at this point, but an algorithm. So when you're on, say you're on YouTube, the algorithm learns what content you want to see. Algorithms are very dangerous in a sense, but also necessary. They're dangerous. Well, the dangerous isn't the right word, but they they are harmful in the sense that I believe algorithms have contributed to the um, the polarization politically in this country. Because so, say you're on YouTube and you look at a lot of liberal content on YouTube, the algorithm is going to learn that's what you want, and in the suggestions that YouTube makes. Uh, it, they're going to keep suggesting, they're going to serve up, uh, to use the correct terminology, more liberal content because the algorithm is learning that's what you like. If you're a conservative and you uh, sample a lot of conservative content, the algorithm is going to learn that's what you like to look at and is going to begin to serve up consistently conservative content. On the one hand, I think this is harmful because it has contributed to the politicization, uh, the yeah politicization and and uh, of social media and and the polarization politically in the country. However, on the other hand, I don't know how to solve that because 
while the algorithms do contribute to that, you do want, as a consumer, anything that you use, any service that you use, social media or anything, if the service is going to be actively suggesting to you more things that you might like, uh, forget uh, social media. What about uh, Amazon? If you're shopping on Amazon, you know, the algorithm notices your purchase history, notices products that you've looked at previously, and then suggests more products for you that you might like based on that. So algorithms are good in that sense. You want anything, anything that is giving you content or suggesting products for you to buy or services for you to buy or investments for you to make or whatever it is, right? You want that service to show you things, present you with options that you would probably like. So it makes perfect sense to have these algorithms. You wouldn't want to not have them. The downside is, though, it it does uh, help reinforce those echo chambers uh, that people like to exist in, where, you know, you, you don't have to be exposed to anything that, uh, for example, uh, politically on YouTube, if you're watching political YouTube videos, you don't have to worry about being exposed to anything that might conflict with your ideology or challenge uh, your already deep-seated beliefs because you're only being served content that reinforces all of that. Um, so uh, so that's a pro- I don't know what the solution to that is. You've got to have algorithms. The services don't work without algorithms. It doesn't make sense to not have them, but having them does come with a price. It 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 uh, it chips away at our critical thinking skills, and and it reinforces um, our uh, the echo chambers in which we live and and these uh, you know the, the, the this uh, hyper partisan uh, ideological way that uh, Americans like to think about everything political and even things that are not necessarily political. So I don't know what to do about that. Um, Crystal says in the chat room, it was Mark Warner who Kamala taught, (laughs) uh, Kamala taught to make the, uh, make a tuna sandwich. Oh God. Well, God bless her for helping him. I guess Uh, that's, that's good. You don't want to put that in the microwave. That's that's disgusting. Like, I don't know how to cook anything. Jenny will tell you, I don't know how to cook anything. Like, but, uh, but I know better than to do that. That's gross. Uh, let's see. It says here, to ensure preteens and children don't create social media profiles, the bill would also create, this isn't going to, see, uh, nobody's going to go for this. <laughs> you think this, uh, listen, we talked on the show. I don't know what ended up happening, by the way with this i guess nothing's going to happen but remember we were talking on the show we did for multiple days it was a pretty hot issue uh briefly uh tiktok possibly banning tiktok the government banning tiktok we don't hear anything about it anymore so i guess that's uh been forgotten about i don't know but uh but i said at the time i said i don't think americans are going to go for the government banning a very popular social media app unless you make the case and convince americans that there is a legitimate national security threat you've got to convince us i'm not even on tiktok but i just say us as in america (laughs) you've got to convince us that there is a very good reason for why for the first time in american history you would actually ban a social media app that is enormously popular that is used by 
something like 120 million Americans, some huge number, more than 100 million Americans on TikTok. And uh, because if you don't make the case, it's not going to fly. You're going to have an uprising over this for real. It, it's a social media site, but, you know, but there are larger implications. You can just say, well, it's a social media site. Who cares? There's others. But there are broader implications. If you're if you're going to allow the government to tell you uh, how you can and cannot communicate, what social media sites you can and cannot use, that opens a can of worms. A pretty big one. But this isn't going to fly either. Let's. Here, I'm, I want to start this paragraph again. I want to make sure that I'm understanding correctly what this what this bill would do. To ensure preteens and children don't create social media profiles, the bill would also create a government-run age verification program overseen by the Department of Commerce. I'll tell you what. If Section 230, if repealing Section 230 doesn't kill social social media, this will. This will. No one is going to tolerate this. A government-run age verification system that you have to go through uh, to set up your Instagram account, not going to fly. Uh, the system would require children and their parents to upload identification to prove their age. While legislation does not mandate that companies use the government system, it would nevertheless represent a significant ex expansion of the government's role in the online ecosystem. Let me tell you what will happen <laughs> if this becomes law and is actually enforced. You're going to see more platforms like TikTok. What do I mean by that? You're going to see more platforms that are not based in the United States that are able to connect with Americans uh, without necessarily adhering to American law. Now, I suppose the government can just ban those as they pop up. But if they're popping up to serve a need uh, because uh, Americans are pretty angry at having to upload uh, a picture of their driver's license to get a social media account, this is going to create much larger problems than it solves. I'm telling you. Uh, let's see. It says here. Oh, uh, Crystal says, uh, now Matt has Hall & Oates playing in his head. I can't go for that. I always have Hall & Oates playing in my head. We have a call. Hi. Welcome to Matt Connerton Unleashed. Who's this? Is, uh, is this, is this Mark, Mark Connerton? Yes. Yes, it is. Who's this? Is this Matt Connor? Matt Connor. Matt. What? What? What's this goddamn guy? Is this Matt Connor? This is a very familiar voice. He's kind of mumbly. Hey, Matt Connor. It's, it's, it's Don Imus calling from Brotherhood. Don, the ghost of Don Imus is on the line. Oh my God, this is amazing. Yes, it's Don Imus calling from Purgatory. From Purga, you're still in Purgatory. How long do you have to stay yeah. there? That's, that's that's crazy. Uh, this is uh, I will say though, this is an honor, sir. I mean, uh, I don't think you were a good person when you were here on Earth, and uh, you were kind of a POS to a lot of people and and said some terrible things. But you are a radio legend, and uh, I am talking to your ghost. So this is quite a moment. Well, I sure mind you're talking to me. I, I didn't really die. I just got arrested, and they uh, sent me a burger. <laughs> so you. 
So you, uh, you, so you've been arrested. They told me. They told me I'm dead. They, they, they told me I'm dead. They put me in the ground, seven feet under. And I'm here in the purgatory, but I don't feel dead, man. Damn it, I'm, I'm, I'm alive. I, I keep telling them. I keep telling them I'm alive. They won't let me come back. I will say this, Don Imus. Uh, you sound, you do sound more alive to me now than you did at any point in the last five or six years that you were actually on the radio. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. And you sound more alive than ever. I'm a big fan. You know, we get your uh, show over here in Purgatory. <laughs> are you saying Purgatory? You are saying Purgatory, right? I just want to make sure you're in the purgatory. right place. Purgatory, yes. I'm sorry. I, I'm eating right uh, now. I'm having lunch right now. Uh, but you say, uh, you say you're not actually dead. So are you, in, uh, are you just uh, buried somewhere in Purgatory, Texas, and they won't let you out? Is that what's going on? No, I, I'm actually here in the uh, purgatory. I uh, flew first class here, by the way, Matt. Flew first class here to purgatory. And uh, it's a nice day here. They, I, I, I think I am dead, actually. They they yeah. do tell me I'm dead, but I don't feel dead, Matt. Right, right. Uh, you... They brought me in a room. They questioned me for three hours. They told me I'm dead. They had me sign some paperwork, Matt. And I'm here now in purgatory. I, it's an undisclosed amount of time that I'm going to be here, but uh, it should be soon that I'll be going to heaven, Matt. That's very exciting. Well, are you sure? Does everyone in How's Purgatory... your donkey Kong, Matt? <laughs> that sounds familiar. I, th- I, think you, I think you might have asked me that once before when I called into your show many years ago. Wow. How's my donkey Kong? It's great. So, uh, a very important question: uh, Do you get to uh, do you get to continue to wear your cowboy hat in purgatory? I told you, man, I shouldn't call in until we have some material on this. <laughs> well, I, 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 I mean, this is our first time uh, talking. I've never uh, spoken to the ghost of Don Imus before. I'll tell you what we're going to do, man. You and I, when I come down to visit the planet Earth from purgatory, we're going to sit down. We're going to write some material and. We're going to think of some funny things for me to say. <laughs> That's great. It'll be just like you're back on the radio. It'll be just like you're back at uh, WABC, or, or I'm sorry, WNBC. WNBC, uh, yes. right here in New York City. Yeah, yeah, it'll be like you're back home. That's right, because, you know, how's your Donkey Kong to get really old, really fast? <laughs> Yes, I think at some point you would stop saying that later in your career, probably around the time that you started copying Howard Stern, trying to be more like him. True Howard, true. Yeah, so even in death, you're still upset with Howard Stern. I don't like Howard. He took all my material. <laughs> well, he uh, he had glowing things to say about you uh, when you passed away. You know, about a lot of people will mistake me for Larry Flynn. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I, I, know, I know someone who uh, thinks you sound like him. I think you sound like yeah. uh, Don Imus. That's how I figured out that it was the ghost of Don Imus. Uh, well, thank you, Ronnie. Yeah, this, this, this is the ghost of uh, Don Imus. I was going to say Larry Flint. This is the ghost of Don Imus checking out, Matt. You have a great day. I love your show. Uh, you have a great day. Uh, How's your donkey dog? All right. Thank you. Wow, very nice. All right. Wow, the ghost of Don Imus. That was wonderful. Now, how does that work? Now, he says he's in purgatory, but does that mean he definitely goes to heaven? Because if you go to hell, you go, see, I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, I haven't been to church in a while, much to the, the chagrin of my dad, but uh, I think uh, the, the deal is, I do remember learning about purgatory in school. 
uh, Catholic school. I think the deal is uh, if you go to purgatory, you uh, you go there to burn off your sins, and then you get to go to heaven. But if you go to hell, you go straight to hell, I think, right? Because that would be that wouldn't be very fair, right? If you go to purgatory, and then uh, you're thinking, oh, cool, I'm in purgatory. Maybe uh, next I get to go uh, climb that ladder over there and get to heaven. And then uh, turns out, uh, no, you just fall into the pit of hell. That would be that would be terrible. That would be insult to injury. Am I right? So, uh, so I hope Don Imus, but he's been dead for years now, like at least a couple years, right? So he's been in purgatory a long time, a long time. Wow, Don Imus. Well, that was that was a radio legend, my friends. We've made radio history here today. Uh, we're going to uh, very shortly. We're going to get to Eric Pilcher's classic film review, but I do want to finish up on this article. But also, if you'd like to call in, uh, if you have any thoughts on this uh, or on the ghost of Don Imus, uh, oh, actually, we have a call. We'll, uh, we'll see who this is. Hi, welcome to Matt Connerton Unleashed. Who's this? Hey, Matt, it's Polly. Oh, Polly C. from Retro Spectrum Radio with Polly C. How are you? I'm doing well. I just wanted to uh, let you know that uh, DJ Steve will not be joining us tonight. He's a little under the weather. Oh. So we will be joined by uh, Dan Randall's stand-in, Ron LaPlume. Ah, tonight the part of Dan Randall of Dan Randall and the Randlets will be played by Ron LaPlume. That is correct. He will be joining us tonight well, in very the studio. Good. So oh. it'll be you and I and Ron LaPlume, and DJ Steve will be calling in at 9 to play the uh, Name That 9 at 9. Oh, wonderful. I haven't seen Ron in a while. Uh, what about uh, Mike from Queen City Cabinetry? Is he still uh, Mike, injured? Mike sent me a message uh, about an hour ago promising promising that he will be back next week okay well very good well we look forward to uh seeing him then but yeah it'll be great to see ron tonight excellent yes yes all right i'll uh <laughs> see you uh at the eight o'clock i'm oh. all right sounds good paul we'll see you then all right. Bye bye. All right. That was our friend uh, Paulie C from Retro Spectrum Radio with Paulie C tonight from 8 to 11 p.m. And we will be joined by the great Ron LaPlume. That'll be fun. Uh, oh, yes. Uh, Mike says, uh, yes, he will definitely be here next week. He says, uh, oh, it's like going straight to jail in Monopoly when you uh, go straight to hell. Uh, DJ Steve is in the chat room. He enjoyed the call from uh, the ghost of Don Imus. Um, <laughs> all right, well, let's finish up this article. So it says here, um, so again, this is about the bill to ban anyone under 13 from social media. As such, the bill could upend the internet as we know it by adding substantial government oversight over social media platforms. The bipartisan legislation's being met with bipartisan skepticism. Yes, it has both uh, bipartisan support and bipartisan skepticism. Uh, Senator Tina Smith, a Minnesota Democrat, said, quote, we kind of went through this when Tipper Gore was trying to ban music for some people, unquote. <laughs> that's a good way of uh, that's a good uh, observation. Yes. Uh, the legislation's sponsors are offended by the comparison. In fact, they say their proposal purposely avoids content altogether. Uh, Chris Murphy, a uh, Connecticut Democrat, says, quote, let's be clear. This bill is completely content neutral. All it says is that you cannot build a purposely, a purposefully addictive program that leads especially vulnerable children down deep, dark rabbit holes, unquote. Mm. Uh, 
that's not a convincing argument to me. Uh, the broadly bipartisan effort also showcases the pressure ratcheting up on party leaders by rank-and-file lawmakers on both sides of the aisle who are demanding Congress to act to protect children after years of watching similar efforts dither. Yeah, well, the reason similar efforts dithered is because, uh, you know, you got to come up with an actual good idea. Uh, who am I kidding? You don't have to come up with a good idea for politicians to pass it into law. That's not what I mean. But uh, but but there is, you know, I mean, when it comes to the Internet and social media, there there does seem to be uh, dithering. Uh, freshman Senator, I just like that word, uh, freshman Senator Katie Britt, an Alabama Republican, ran as a mama on a mission, quote unquote, and says this is a personal issue to her and others. Britt says, quote, bringing the issues that we talk about as parents in the home with our friends, we watch unfold before us in our schools and our communities. That's what we're here to do is to bring that voice, the voice of parents, unquote. I'm not even sure what that meant. That was a kind of a little bit of a word salad there. I mean, if you're trying to bring the voice of parents, how about letting the parents have their own voice instead of the government uh, deciding uh, what their kids can have access to and what they can't? There. Katie Britt, you Alabama Republican, sounds like a rhino to me. Um, again, I'm I'm half kidding. Uh, as to whether their measure could stifle the next generation of tech entrepreneurs, Britt says the opposite is the case. Quote, that's what we're fighting for. You want our kids to be healthy and prepared to achieve their American dream, unquote. <sighs> There's a real disconnect here. Not, nothing. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah, I agree. And this helps them how? Uh, Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton is the other Republican author. On the Democratic side, Senator Murphy of Connecticut is joined by Brian Schatz of Hawaii as a lead sponsor. All four are young, in Senate terms at least, and all have young children. Well, all, well yeah, keep your, they keep your kids off of there then if, if you're worried about it, but don't punish the rest of the country. Uh, while all the major Silicon Valley social media firms, from Instagram to TikTok, say they block children from using their apps, these senators th say those efforts have failed. Schatz says, quote, it's not working. There's no free speech right to be jammed with an algorithm that makes you upset, and these algorithms are making us increasingly polarized and disparaging and depressed and angry at each other. And it's bad enough that it's happening to all of us adults. The least we can do is protect our kids, unquote. This hits on something with me. Okay, so let's look at this again. Let's look at what he said. There's no free speech right to be jammed with an algorithm that makes you upset, and these algorithms are making us increasingly polarized and disparaging and depressed and angry at each other. How convenient. Blame social media. Blame social media. Right. If these kids are running into this, it's the fault of social media, so we have to do something about it, right? We can't just blame, oh, I don't know, ourselves? Do we not, as adults, create the world that our children have to grow up in? The reason, see, a lot of people get this wrong, I feel. People blame 
social media. I've talked about how awful social media is, how it's a cesspool of negativity and hate. And by the way, a lot of it is, and a lot of it's not. A lot of it is wonderful and good and positive. It's all about what you make it, what you choose to engage in, who you choose to engage in it with. We create the world that our kids have to live in. That includes on social media. You can go on social media at any moment of the day and see lots of grown adults being mean and angry and hateful and disparaging and putting a whole lot of negativity on social media and thereby doing so also out into the world. Social media is not the way it is because of how social media works, because of the algorithms in terms of the negativity and the, the cesspool that it so often seems to be. It's that way because of us. We're the ones using social media. We're the ones responsible. So when somebody like this guy says, well, look at what, look at what our kids are being exposed to. Well, we need something to blame. So we're going to blame this and we're going to do something about this. It's never, it's never, we're going to look inward and we're going to do something about us. It's never, we're going to look inward and we're going to try to be better adults. I mean, look at cable news. You can see grown adults arguing, having very unproductive arguments where they talk past each other like we were looking at the other day on the show. That's the world we've created for our kids, and then we need someone to blame because, God forbid, under any circumstances, we ever take any responsibility for it ourselves. Oh, that would be the worst thing for anyone to ever say, you know, we all need to do better in terms of how we treat each other and the example that we set for our kids. No, we can't do that. We can't do that. So instead, we need to make a law about social media, because this is currently a very convenient scapegoat. That's what's really going on here. <sighs> While the measure is sponsored by progressive Democrats and one of the most ardent conservatives in the Senate, lawmakers from across the ideological spectrum are equally skeptical of the proposal, showing the difficult road ahead for passing any new media measure, including those aimed at children. Many lawmakers are torn between protecting kids online and preserving the robust internet as we know it, which we must do. Naturally, most senators are looking at their own families for guidance. Uh, Senator Mitt Romney, uh, Republican of Utah, Mittens of Utah, as I like to call him, said, quote, my grandkids have flip phones. They don't have smartphones until they get older, unquote. Oh, well, look at that. They're not allowed to have smartphones until they get older. So in other words, uh, you are, well, they're not your kids. They're your grandkids. But so your, your kids are being actual parents to your grandkids, only letting them have flip phones and not smartphones until they get older. Wow, imagine that. So what you're saying, Senator Romney, is you don't need the government doing that for you. Your family is doing it. Uh, Romney also says, I have five sons, so there are five different families, and they do have different approaches, and the youngest son is the one that's the most strict, and the oldest son didn't really think of it as being such a big deal, unquote. Wow, imagine that. So in Mitt Romney's family, his sons, he's got, wow, he's got five sons, big family, uh, they're, they're actually making parental choices for their children in, instead of uh, waiting for the government to do it for them. Imagine, what a novel idea. What a novel idea. 
Uh, it says here for Smith, the Minnesota senator worried about her party coming across as big sister. There wasn't even uh, uniformity in her own household when her boys were fighting over the family's first desktop computer ages ago. And her kids also proved to be uh, mini hackers. <laughs> Smith says, quote, we were trying to figure out how to monitor their interactions with the computer. And we quickly figured out that, at least for them, it was hard to put uh, hard, fast rules uh, because kids find a way and different parents have different rules for what they think is the right thing for their kids. Uh, unquote. Uh, while Smith was open to the new measure, she's wary. Quote, I tend to be, I guess, a little bit suspicious of hard and fast rules because I'm not sure that they work and because I sort of think that parents and kids should have the freedom to decide what's right for their family. Unquote. Yes, agreed. While Smith is a progressive Democrat on this measure, she's currently aligned with Senator Rand Paul, uh, who I tended to uh, find to be a, an incredible disappointment in recent years, but I agree with him here. Rand Paul, uh, the Kentucky Republican, who said, quote, parents exercise some oversight of what their kids view on the internet, what they view on television. All these things are important. I'm not sure I want the federal government involved, unquote. I agree. Um, now, it says here, uh, the new measure also has competition. We're, we're going to finish with this, and then we're going to get to Eric's review. The new measure also has competition. Just last week, Senators Richard Blumenthal, a Connecticut Democrat, and South Carolina's Lindsey Graham, the top Republican on the Senate Judiciary Committee, reintroduced their Earn It Act, the Eliminating Abusive and Rampant Neglect of Interactive Technologies Act. Oh, God, just from the name, I'm... Oh. The measure would strip away the current, see, this is bad. The measure would strip away the current Section 230 protections for any sites that publish. Um, oh, well, okay. Uh, see, I don't, I don't even like talking about that, but it, certain, certain kinds of content, which, which these sites already police this, though. Uh, Section 230 remains a highly controversial law because it protects online businesses from liability for much of what its users post on their platforms. Schatz, the Hawaii Democrat who helped negotiate the new effort, is an original co-sponsor of the Earn It Act. He says, all these efforts coming from different angles show that Congress is finally serious about the impact the Internet has on children. Schatz says, quote, the more the merrier. There's plenty of momentum. All these efforts ought to be complementary, unquote. Oh, what? So you should pass all these laws? Oh, God. Okay. There's a little bit more to the article, but it gets a, a little redundant. Um, <laughs> Melanie says, I blame rock and roll with all that hip swaying. Yeah, Elvis. I blame Elvis, actually. Um, when he went on Ed Sullivan. Uh, Crystal says, Mitt Romney uh, used an alias on social media. Oh, I forgot about this. Pierre Delecto or something to argue against people who criticized him, uh, Romney's views. Uh, so people didn't know it was him. He needs to sit down and shut up. Yeah, I don't hold that against him, though. I actually think that's kind of funny. <laughs> I do. Uh, I don't know why. I just do. But, you know, again, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I also have you. But I've never used an alias to... Uh, Rebut uh, criticism against myself. Okay, here's what we're going to do. We are running late, but we got uh, uh, we got tied up on this issue, and we had that wonderful call from Don Imus from Purgatory. We're going to take a quick break, show some love to our amazing sponsors, and then we're going to come right back with Eric Pilcher's classic film review. This week, the subject is double indemnity, and uh, as I often say, hearing Eric's review makes me want to see the movie. But uh, so there is plenty more to come today on Matt Connerton Unleashed. 
So don't go anywhere. Come on down to the Hop Knot at 1000 Elm Street, Manchester's premier craft beer and gourmet pretzel bar. Tell us more, Trudy. We make our dough fresh every day. We make a variety of styles of pretzels and serve craft beer, cocktails, and a few bottles of wine. We do the traditional pretzel, and we have multiple flavors for that. We also do stuffed pretzels, pretzel sandwiches, free dessert pretzels, and pretzel knots. The Hop Knot in the Brady Sullivan Plaza at 1000 Elm Street. Bring your kitchen to life with Queen City Cabinetry. Located at 87 Elm Street in the historic Sunbeam Mall in Manchester. Open Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. and Saturdays, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. They can be reached at 603-222-2007 or on the web at queencitycabinetrynh.com. Come see the possibilities. Queen City Cabinetry, another proud sponsor of WMNH. Clemento's Pizzeria, family friendly, awesome for a date night. Clemento's Pizzeria, for delivery call 603-782-8450. Clemento's Pizzeria, the best pizza in town. 1875 South Willow Street in Manchester, New Hampshire. Best cocktails around. Come in as friends and leave as family. This hour on WMNH is sponsored by CGI Business Solutions, located at 5 Dartmouth Drive in Auburn. They serve all your business needs, including employee benefits planning, corporate design and business administration, investments and wealth management, and customized business insurance solutions. Their phone number is 866-841-4600 or on the web at cgibusinesssolutions.com. WMNH, rip the knob off. Office memorandum. Walter Neff to Barton Keyes, claims manager. Los Angeles, July 16th, 1938. Dear Keyes, suppose you'll call this a confession when you hear it. Well, I don't like the word confession. I just want to set you right about something you couldn't see because it was smack up against your nose. You think you're such a hot potato as a claims manager, such a wolf on a phony claim. Maybe you are. But let's take a look at that Dietrichson claim. Accident and double indemnity. You were pretty good in there for a while, Keys. You said it wasn't an accident. Check. You said it wasn't suicide. Check. You said it was murder. Check. You thought you had a cold, didn't you? all wrapped up in tissue paper with pink ribbons around it. It was perfect. Except it wasn't because you made one mistake. Just one little mistake. When it came to picking the killer, you picked the wrong guy. You want to know who killed Dietrichson? Hold tight to that cheap cigar of yours, Keys. I killed Dietrichson. Me, Walter Neff. Insurance salesman. 35 years old, unmarried, no visible scars. Until a while ago, that is. Yes, I killed him. I killed him for money. And for a woman. And I didn't get the money and... I didn't get the woman. Pretty, isn't it? Double indemnity is an insurance clause that pays out double the policy limit. 
if the insured individual dies due to an accident. It is a common provision, but for our intents and purposes, it defines the start of the film noir genre. Released in 1944, directed by Billy Wilder, he also co-wrote this film with famed hard-boiled detective writer Raymond Chandler, Double Indemnity leaves the captivating tale of insurance salesman Walter Neff, played by Fred McMurray, who on what appears to be a standard sales call, meets the sultry and alluring Phyllis Dietrichson, Barbara Stanwyck, and becomes instantly smitten. This leads Neff down a road of lust, murder, and deception. The film also features the fast-talking film legend Edward G. Robinson as Barton Keyes, an adjuster that sniffs out phony claims with ease. Fast-talking is a primary staple of film noir, and really drives this film with its biting dialogue and crisp words. First, we will hear the end of the initial conversation between Mrs. Dietrichson and Neff. The dialogue is so powerful, profound, and verbose here. Also, try and pick up on the innuendo between the two. And then at the conclusion of this scene, we hear another fantastic example of a film noir staple. Haunting voiceover narration by Neff. You're a smart insurance man, aren't you, Mr. Neff? Well, I've been at it 11 years. Doing pretty well? Well, it's a living. You handle just automobile insurance or all kinds? All kinds. Fire, earthquake, theft, public liability, group insurance, industrial stuff, and so on right down the line. Accident insurance? Accident insurance? Sure, Mr. Dietrichson. Wish you tell me what's engraved on that anklet. Just my name. As for instance? Phyllis. Phyllis, huh? I think I like that. But you're not sure. I'd have to drive it around the block a couple of times. Mr. Neff, why don't you drop by tomorrow evening around 8.30? He'll be in then. Who? My husband. You were anxious to talk to him, weren't you? Yeah, I was, but uh, I'm sort of getting over the idea, if you know what I mean. There's a speed limit in this state, Mr. Neff. 45 miles an hour. How fast was I going, officer? I'd say around 90. Suppose you get down off your motorcycle and give me a ticket. Suppose I let you off with a warning this time. Suppose it doesn't take. Suppose I have to whack you over the knuckles. Suppose I bust out crying and put my head in your shoulder. Suppose you try putting it on my husband's shoulder. That tears it. 8.30 tomorrow evening, then. That's what I suggested. You'll be here, too? I guess so. I usually am. Same chair, same perfume, same anklet. I wonder if I know what you mean. I wonder if you wonder. It was a hot afternoon, and I can still remember the smell of honeysuckle all along that street. How could I have known that murder can sometimes smell like honeysuckle? Maybe you would have known, Keyes, the minute she mentioned accident insurance. But I didn't. I felt like a million. When dissecting this film, it would be near criminal to not talk about the performance of Edward G. Robinson. This film is, in my opinion, his most underrated performance. As Barton Keyes, he steals the scene every time he appears. His mannerisms, voice, and natural short stature make him the perfect claims adjuster. 
Our next two clips are examples of this. When we first encounter Keyes, he is arguing with a claimant, seeking to get paid on a claim. Hear how Keyes turns the tables with smooth, direct delivery. Then, after erstwhile lovers, Phyllis and Neff conspire and successfully kill her husband to attempt to cash in on the double indemnity on the accidental death policy, hear how Keyes has his suspicions, and he brings them to Neff, in which he is confidently, and we find out later, hauntingly, painfully accurate, all on a simple hunch. Come on, come on, Gallopers, you're not kidding anybody with that line of bolt. You're in the jam and you know it. Says you. All I want is my money. Says you. All you're going to get is the cops. Oh, hello, Walter. This is Sam Garlopas from Inglewood. Oh, sure, I know, Mr. Galopas. Wrote a policy on his truck. How are you, Mr. Galopas? I ain't so good. My truck burned down. Yeah. Now, look, Galopas. Every month, hundreds of claims come to this desk. Some of them are phonies, and I know which ones. How do I know? Because my little man tells me. What little man? The little man in here. Every time one of these phonies comes along, he ties knots in my stomach. I can't eat. Yours was one of them, Galopas. That's how I knew your claim was crooked. So what did I do? I sent a tow car over to your garage this afternoon. And they jacked up that burned-out truck of yours. And what did they find? They found what was left of a neat pile of shavings. What shavings? The ones you soak with kerosene and drop the match on. Look, mister, I, I'm just a poor guy. Maybe I made a mistake. Well, that's one way of putting it. I ain't feeling so good, Mr. Keith. Yeah, just a minute. Sign this and you'll feel fine. Sign what? It's a waiver on your claim. Right here. Here? Here. Now you're an honest man again. Goodbye, Carl Lopez. Well, I ain't got no more truck. Gonna see it's hundred bucks is a lot of dough where I live. Smart, Carl Lopez. Don't you know how to open the door? Just put your hand on the knob. Turn it to the left. Now pull it towards you. That's the boy. Thank you, Mr. Keyes. And now... Keys suspicions. What's on your mind? That broken leg. The guy had a broken leg. What are you talking about? I'm talking about Dietrichson. He had accident insurance, didn't he? Yeah. Then he broke his leg, didn't he? So what? And he didn't put in a claim. Why didn't he put in a claim? Why? What are you driving at? Walter, I had dinner two hours ago. And he's stuck halfway. Little man of yours is acting up again, huh? There's something wrong with the Dietrichson case. Why, because he didn't file a claim? Maybe he just didn't have time. Maybe he just didn't know that he was insured. No, no, that couldn't be it. Uh, you delivered the policy to him personally, didn't you? Yeah. You got his check? Sure I did. Got any bicarbonate of soda? No, I haven't. Walter, I've been living with this little man for 26 years. He's never failed me yet. There's got to be something wrong. Well, maybe Norton was right. Maybe it was suicide. No, not suicide. But not an accident, either. What else? Now, look, Walter, a guy takes out an accident policy that's worth $100,000 if he's killed on the train. And two weeks later, he is killed on the train. And not in a train accident, mind you, but falling off some silly observation car. Do you know what the mathematical probability of that is? One out of, oh, I don't know how many billions. And after that, the broken leg. Now, it just, it just can't be the way it looks. Something has been worked on us. Such as what? Murder? Don't you have any peppermint or something? Oh, sorry. Uh, 
Bottle of soda water? No, no, no. Who do you suspect? Well, maybe I like to make things easy for myself, but I always tend to suspect the beneficiary. You mean the wife? Yeah, that wide-eyed dame that just didn't know anything about anything. Oh, you're crazy, Keith. She wasn't even on the train. I know she wasn't, Walter. I don't claim to know how it was worked or who worked it, but all I know is that it was worked. I've got to get to a drugstore. This thing feels like a hunk of concrete inside me. Good night, Walter. Good night, Keys. See you at the office in the morning. Yeah. I'd like to move in on her right now, tonight. If it wasn't for Norton and his tri-fancy ideas about company policy, I'd have the police after her so fast it'd make her head spin. They put her through the ringer. And brother, the things they would squeeze out. Well, we haven't got a single thing to go on, Keys. Oh, not too much. Just 26 years' experience, all the percentage there is, and this hunk of concrete in my stomach. One of those things. Good night, Keys. So long, Walter. What makes film noir such an amazing genre, and one of the factors that makes it a personal favorite of mine, is that there is always a conclusion where a caper or plan falls apart. With this being the modern blueprint for film noir, this film has this, and it is heartbreaking, mesmerizing, and quite memorable. In our final scene for this week's review, Neff confronts Phyllis after realizing he was used simply for his knowledge of insurance as an insider trader in a sick, twisted sort of way. Or, 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 or was he? I will leave that up to you, the listeners, to decide. Hello, baby. Anybody else in the house? Nobody. Why? What's that music? Radio up the street. Just like the first time I came here, isn't it? We were talking about automobile insurance. Only you were thinking about murder. I was thinking about that anklet. And what are you thinking about now? I'm all through thinking, baby. I just came to say goodbye. Goodbye? Where are you going? You're the one that's going, baby, not me. I'm getting off the trolley car right at this corner. Suppose you stop being fancy. Let's have it, whatever it is. All right, I'll tell you. A friend of mine's got a funny theory. He says when two people commit a murder, it's sort of like they're riding on a trolley car together. One can't get off without the other. They're stuck with each other. And they have to go on riding together, clear to the end of the line. And the last stop is a cemetery. Maybe he's got something there. You bet he has. Two people are going to ride at the end of the line, all right. Only I'm not going to be one of them. I've got another guy to finish my ride for me. Just who are you talking about? The Queen's yours. A Mr. Zacchetti. Come on, baby. I just got into this thing because I happen to know a little something about insurance, didn't I? I was a sucker. I'd have been brushed off just as soon as you got your hands on the money. Nobody wanted to brush you off. Save it, I'm telling this. It's been you and that Sikhetti guy all along, hasn't it? That's not true. Doesn't make any difference if it's true or not. The point is, Keys believes Sikhetti is the one he's been looking for. He'll have him in the gas chamber before he knows what's happened to him. What's happening to me all this time? Don't be silly, baby. What do you think's gonna happen to you? You helped him do the murder, didn't you? That's what Key thinks, and 
What's good enough for Keys is good enough for me. Maybe it's not good enough for me, Walter. Maybe I don't go for the idea. Maybe I'd rather talk. Sometimes people are where they can't talk. Under six feet of dirt, maybe. And if it was you, they'd charge that up to Sigetti, too, wouldn't they? Sure they would. And that's just what's going to happen, baby. Because he's coming here tonight in about 15 minutes. With the cops right behind him. It's all taken care of. That would make everything lovely for you, wouldn't it? Right. It's got to be done before that suit of yours comes to trial. Mola gets a chance to sound off. Before they trip you up in the stand, you start to go in and drag me down with you. Maybe I had Sigetti here so they won't get a chance to trip me up, so we can get the money and be together. That's cute. A film being ambiguous at the end, or even towards the end, is what makes film noir in a class of its own. It is left to us, the viewers, to make the final decision on who is right, who is wrong. And what happens after the words, the end, flashed across the screen? It comes down to our morals and our convictions. That is ultimately what decides who is the heroes and the villains in these films. Those feelings are what makes this genre so well regarded even today. In the films that are a part of it, some of the most heralded and highly thought of. This film was very controversial upon release, with adultery, murdering of a spouse, and the dialogue being loaded with innuendo. The production code had fits over this film. It did not deter it from getting widespread praise from critics and being a box office dynamo. It made $5 million against a budget of 980000 It was nominated for seven Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Director for Wilder, Best Actress, Stanwyck, and Best Screenplay, both Wilder and Chandler. More than likely, due to the controversy surrounding the film, it sadly and quite unjustly won none of them. Regardless, this film is the perfect noir film and an example of everything that makes one of my favorite genres truly amazing. I hope you'll join me next week when we will look at high school seniors looking to have fun, lose their virginity, and have some warm apple pie in a very unconventional way. Our film is the 1999 teen classic, American Pie. For WMNH and Matt Connerton Unleashed, this has been a classic film review with Eric Pilcher. everybody as we cruise into our final segment it is matt connerton unleashed and we are live 
from the studios of WMNH 95.3 FM in glorious downtown Manchester, New Hampshire. Also on Comcast 97 if you're in Manchester. And hello to all of our online listeners across the nation and around the globe. You can go to my website, mattconnerton.com, for all your live streaming options, social media links, contact info, show archives, etc., etc. Today is Friday, April 28, 2023. Friday, of course, my long day here at WMNH. We've got... Uh, uh, right after this show, we've got a repeat of Granite State of Mind, hosted by the great Rob Azevedo and Polly Stone. But then I'm back tonight at 8 p.m. for Retro Spectrum Radio with Polly C. from 8 to 11. I'm one of Paul's co-hosts on that show. Uh, and uh, tonight we're joined by Ron LaPlume, who will be in studio with us. Haven't seen Ron in uh, a number of weeks. Uh, so that'll be fun. So that will be tonight. So Friday, uh, definitely my favorite day of the week here at uh, WMNH 95.3 FM. Uh, let's see. Uh, great review, of course, from our friend Eric Pilcher. Uh, this week, the subject, double indemnity. Uh, Mike from uh, Queen City Cabinetry uh, says, uh, on my list to watch. Thank you, Eric. Uh, also, Miriam Banish joins us in the Facebook live chat. Hello, Miriam. Uh, by the way, Miriam, my dad uh, said uh, he was very complimentary about the uh, segment that we did uh, on uh, Wednesday when you were here, when we had that discussion about autism. I, I got a lot of positive feedback about that, and my dad texted me about it, and he, uh, he thought that was really good. So uh, I appreciated you joining us for that. Uh, if you'd like to join us, we have a little bit of time left in today's show. 603-250-6007 is the studio line, 603-250-6007. Uh, you can also text me at 617-917-4476. I'm on social media at Matt Connerton. You can email me, Matt, at mattconnerton.com. And, of course, you can interact and opine in the Facebook live chat, but the best thing to do so that we can hear and enjoy your dulcet tones is to give us a call at uh, 603-250-6007. Uh, by the way, our amazing sponsor at the Hopknot, right across the street in the Brady Sullivan. Oh, by the way, they've got, uh, this is not in, in the announcement that they posted today. Uh, well, actually, two announcements, but uh, Ramez Gurung, uh, if I'm saying his last name correctly, G-U-R-U-N-G, Ramez Gurung, uh, he's going to be performing there tomorrow night. They do live music now on Saturday nights, and uh, he's going to be there tomorrow night, I think, uh, from uh, 7 to 9 p.m. I have not seen him live, but apparently he is amazing. Uh, but uh, they also posted this today on social media, uh, uh, the Hopknot's uh, social media. Uh, this is uh, two big announcements. Uh, first announcement, try the new special, the LGBT pretzel sandwich. Lettuce, guac, bacon, and tomato on a homemade pretzel bun. If you're thirsty, you can even wash it down with a cold bottle of Bud Light <laughs> with a winky face. Uh, that does sound good, actually. The LGBT pretzel sandwich. Uh, and then the second announcement. Uh, next weekend is the Gender Blender Drag Show, House of a Thousand Gagas. Come join us as we pay tribute uh, to Lady Gaga. This is a 21-plus show with no cover fee. Show starts at 10 p.m., and we will uh, fill up quickly for this. Uh, so get here early if you want a good seat. So the House of a Thousand Gagas Lady Gaga tribute show, uh, the Gender Blender uh, Drag Show. So that will be... Um... What? Wait. Just says next weekend. Oh, oh, I see here. Okay, it is Saturday, May sixth. So Saturday, May sixth, at uh, at ten p.m. Twenty one plus, no cover. And yeah, those uh, gender blender events that they do at the Hopknot, those are very, very popular. So if you are going to be attending that, you do want to get there early for that. Everything they do there, it fills up quickly. Whether it's the gender blenders, whether it's trivia night on Thursdays, which is back. Uh, trivia night 
uh, back to 7 p.m. on Thursdays, now hosted by Broderick Lang, uh, who runs that. So uh, everything the Hopknot does is uh, seems to be pretty successful. So there you go. So our amazing sponsor at 1000 Elm Street, and we uh, we love having them. Uh, again, uh, 603-250-6007 is the number, 603-250-6007. Uh, oh, Miriam says, uh, thanks for letting me know. That's so amazing. And... Um, Crystal in the chat room says, uh, good job, Eric. Yes, Eric uh, does a great job with those uh, film reviews. Absolutely. Uh, let's see. Um, let's look at, so we've got a couple of different uh, directions we could go in with the limited time that we have left, but I think we should probably look at this a uh, little bit of Tucker Carlson uh, news. <laughs> uh, so uh, unless, you, uh, unless you haven't been paying attention, of course, it's been a big week, a big week in media. Uh, both in cable news and online media, of course, in cable news, we had uh, we started the week with the firings and the same day of both uh, Tucker Carlson from Fox and Don Lemon from uh, CNN. Uh, and also uh, in the online media realm, uh, a lot of Steven Crowder news. Uh, I don't know if we'll get to Steven Crowder today because we don't have much time left and we do want to need to spend a little bit of time on this. Uh, Tucker Carlson, uh, this is uh, quite remarkable. Uh, apparently, um, th we still don't know for sure, uh, the reason for his firing. Um, Eric and I, uh, Eric Pilcher and I, uh, on Wednesday, when he called in, we went over a lot of different scenarios and, uh, we did a lot of speculating regarding both Tucker Carlson and Don Lemon. Um, I disagree. I, I still disagree, by the way, with what seems to be the, uh, uh, prevailing theory about Don Lemon. And uh, his interaction with uh, Vivek uh, R R Ramaswamy, if I'm saying that correctly. I still don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but I really don't think that was it. I mean, it might have been the cherry on top of some other things, but I really don't think that was it. But, I, but I'm sure we'll learn more uh, eventually uh, about what went on there. Although pretty easy to get rid of, uh, rid of Don Lemon, too, as I pointed out to Eric. Don Lemon compared with Tucker Carlson because Tucker Carlson— not only uh, the top ratings getter on Fox News, but also the top rated uh, host on uh, on all of cable news. Um, whereas Don Lemon uh, wasn't uh, pulling any kind of numbers really on the morning show. Oh, Crystal points out, yes, the NBC Universal CEO was also fired. Yeah, yeah, big, big week. Lots of upheaval. Lots of upheaval. And, uh, and we love to talk about it. I'm fascinated by all things media, of course. But uh, some news on uh, Tucker Carlson. I think, we, I think we know at this point. I think we know what really happened with Tucker Carlson. It wasn't, uh, it, it wasn't directly because of the Dominion lawsuit. Tucker Carlson was, uh, had done something that in no uh, company would be tolerated. Anybody would be fired for this. Um, apparently he was, uh, making a lot of comments about management, uh, some of them rather profane and, you know, listen, anything that you do, uh, in this world, uh, in the modern world leaves, uh, some sort of a digital footprint, right? So, you know, if you're, if, if, if say you're texting to a coworker about your boss, uh, something really unpleasant and, um, inappropriate about your boss, uh, you know, you, you might think you're just texting it to your uh, coworker, but, you know, other people might ultimately uh, find out about it. So, in fact, there was an incident on the Opie and Anthony show uh, that uh, a certain text message. If you're a fan of Opie and Anthony and you know all the, the lore, you know the reference. If not, don't worry about it. It's not worth uh, taking the time to explain right now. 
But when I think of when I think of errant text messages that end up cause uh, causing a lot of trouble, I think of Opie and Anthony. But uh, no, let's look at this though. Uh, so this is from thehill.com. This is being reported everywhere, of course. But Tucker Carlson's disparaging comments about Fox leaders led to his ouster, according to a new report. It says here, Tucker Carlson, the leading primetime host who was ousted from his job this week, was shown the door at the cable news giant in part because of comments he made in private about his Fox News colleagues and bosses, according to a new report from the Wall Street Journal. Carlson's private text messages, uh, which were included in public court documents in part, um, I'm sorry, as part of Dominion Voting System's blockbuster defamation lawsuit against the network, show him disparaging Fox leadership and worrying how reporters fact-checking former President Trump's false claims about voter fraud would anger the network's massive audience. The Journal, which, like Fox, is owned by billionaire conservative media mogul Rupert Murdoch, reported this week that the explicit content of Carlson's text messages, some of which had been redacted in the Dominion court documents, became known internally to senior Fox management and played a role in his ouster. Awkward. Uh, multiple reports have surfaced this week suggesting in one of the redacted messages that Carlson referred to a senior female Fox News executive as the C-word. Uh... And uh, I'm guessing that that word was not uh, cantankerous. Um, I, th I think it was uh, something else. Uh, the Journal reported on—by the way, uh, don't—just uh, a word to the wise. Some people, as George Carlin used to say, some people need practical advice. Uh, don't call uh, your boss that in a text message, uh, even if it's to another employee. Uh, it's just not a good idea. Uh, the Journal reported on Tuesday that when Fox's lawyers were fighting the Dominion suit, they told Carlson they had successfully convinced a judge to keep those messages redacted, but he was not impressed and told colleagues he wanted the world to know what he thought of Fox management. Wow. <laughs> okay. Uh, Carlson, in other text messages that were not redacted, was seen bad-mouthing former—oh, we know about this, yes. Was seen bad-mouthing former President Trump and his allies. Yeah, remember he talked about how he couldn't wait to not have to talk about Trump anymore, called him a demonic force, said he hated him passionately. Um, the Journal reported that in one of those messages, Carlson told colleagues his remarks about Trump were, quote, said during a momentary spasm of anger while his dislike of the executive— of this executive was deep and enduring, unquote. Uh, so he was just mad at Trump. He was mad. He was upset with his bestie, but uh, but he was he had a deep and enduring anger toward this executive. Apparently, uh, last month during a radio interview, Carlson said he was enraged that his private communications were made public as part of the Dominion lawsuit. Wait, was he enraged or he wanted the world to know? I'm confused. Sounds like he was a bit conflicted. Does he love Trump or does he think he's a demonic force? Again, it sounds like he was uh, conflicted. I almost said convicted. A uh, little Freudian slip. Uh, Carlson said, uh, quote, and I think this is in the text, and those were all grabbed completely illegitimately, in my opinion, in this court case, which I guess I'm not allowed to talk about, but I'm enraged that my private texts were pulled, unquote. 
Fox agreed last week to pay Dominion $787.5 million to settle the case moments before opening arguments were set to begin before a jury. The network announced Monday it had parted ways with Carlson, a decision which it reported on its air that morning had been made mutually. Carlson has not commented publicly on his departure from Fox as of Wednesday morning. So, there you go. By the way, that video, uh, he did post a video. He, he doesn't uh, directly address anything. Um, but uh, he did post a video just uh, talking about it on his, you know, in his time off, which he's barely, he just got fired this week. But uh, he did post a short video. And uh, apparently it netted 57 million views in less than 24 hours. It says here a short video message posted by former Fox News host Tucker Carlson following his ouster from the network had racked up more than 57 million views on Twitter uh, as of yesterday afternoon. Carlson's cryptic two-minute message was posted around 8 p.m. Wednesday. He did not directly address his sudden departure from the network or plans on the future. For comparison, President Biden's relaunch video posted on the platform more than 24 hours earlier had garnered 41.8 million views uh, as of 2 p.m. on Thursday. Carlson, who commanded a nightly audience averaging north of 3 million people while at Fox, criticized the cable news business, calling most of the, of the debates on television unbelievably stupid. Might have a point there. He also said, quote, both political parties and their donors have reached consensus on what benefits them, and they actively collude to shut down any conversation about it. Uh, when, uh, uh, By the way, there is truth to that. He, uh, not everything Tucker Carlson says is a lie. Uh, um, some very important th things that he says are, uh, unfortunately. But anyway, uh, he also said, quote, when honest people say what's true calmly and without embarrassment, they become powerful. At the same time, the liars who have been trying to silence them shrink. They become weaker. That's the iron law of the universe, unquote. Fox has not commented on what led to Carlson's leaving the network beyond a statement thanking him for his service at the company and saying his last show was last week. Multiple reports have surfaced this week suggesting the explicit content of Carlson's text messages, which were pulled as part of the defamation suit Dominion Voting Systems brought against Fox, uh, became known to top executives at Fox and led to his ouster. So... There you go. I'm sure we'll learn more. Um, Crystal says in the chat room, wasn't Tucker one of the reasons Shepard Smith left Fox? I don't... That sounds familiar. I, I certainly remember uh, Shepard Smith. I was, a, I was a fan of his... You know, for a long time, I thought Shepard Smith, he might be one of the few people there. Uh, he and uh, Chris Wallace, who is also no longer there, uh, two of the few people there who actually, I think, legitimately cared about journalism. Um, but, uh, I, I think there was something about Tucker Carlson with, uh, Shepard Smith leaving. Um, by the way, we have just a few minutes left. Uh, I'm going to uh, finish out today with a song from, uh, when we do close, uh, I'm going to play a song of, uh, Ramez, uh, Garung, uh, actually, uh, a Bob Dylan cover, uh, but it's him on Granite State of Mind, uh, performing It Ain't Me, Babe, because, uh, Ramez is going to be, uh, tomorrow night at, uh, the Hopknot. Uh, but before we get to that, we do have a couple of minutes left. Um, we, we also have been talking on the show a lot about Steven Crowder uh, all week uh, in terms of now. He, he actually was on Fox uh, years ago. Like, he used to appear. There's actually a pretty epic uh, sort of debate that he had with Amy Schumer on, uh, on that show. Uh, what, what is it? Uh, Red Eye. Is that still on? Red Eye? 
Do they still run that on Fox? Anyway, um, but uh, Crowder, uh, Crowder's been in the news a lot recently. He's got this ongoing feud with Candace Owens. The latest thing, and I did share this out on social media, but the latest thing uh, with Crowder, Stephen Crowder, is, uh, and we've been talking about him because, you know, uh, his whole, you know, the whole thing with the Daily Wire, the Daily Wire offering him a $50 million deal, and then Crowder uh, groused at that and ended up signing with Rumble instead. But Crowder uh, shared the, uh, he shared the the contents of the term sheet that he was offered. Uh, he kept saying it was a contract. Apparently, it was actually just a term sheet and how this was unacceptable and how the Daily Wire was actually just cozying up to big tech. And everyone at the Daily Wire took that very personally, including people like Candace Owens and Ben Shapiro. And um, it was a, a very interesting time and uh, interesting to see, uh, you know, and then this week, earlier in the week, um, uh, Stephen Crowder claiming that Candace Owens uh, tried to extort him. And Candace Owens uh, apparently sent uh, Stephen Crowder, uh, had her lawyer send him a cease and desist letter and threatening to sue for defamation and something. It's a whole big thing. I, I love it. I love all the drama. It's fascinating. But the latest thing, and this is this gets uh, dark, but uh, now a video has appeared online from uh, a couple of years ago uh, because, you know, Crowder and his wife, Hillary Crowder, are uh, divorcing. And Crowder uh, made a statement about it recently on, on his show and kind of took some shots at his wife um, in the uh, in the statement, uh, like saying that he picked wrong. He picked the wrong woman or something. Takes no responsibility himself, of course, blames it all on her. But then uh, there's a video that was released. Uh, apparently, it had come out in court, in divorce court, of, you know, you have ring cameras, and people often have ring cameras uh, on, you know, at their front door uh, where their doorbell is. There's a, there's a ring camera on there that records everything. So if someone tries to break into your house or steal a package off your doorstep or whatnot, they're recorded. Well, Crowder apparently had a, also a ring camera for security reasons in his, in his backyard, effectively, where the pool is outdoors. And this uh, ring camera caught an interaction that Steven Crowder was having with his wife, who at that time was eight months pregnant. And it's, it's about, what is it, a three-minute video. It's fascinating to watch, but in a very dark way, because it's a, essentially three minutes of Steven Crowder verbally abusing in a truly just malevolent and maniacal way, verbally, no physical abuse, but verbally abusing his wife. And it, it's like a, it's weird, uh, sort of almost like a caricature of the patriarchy in terms of he's, he's saying things to her like, you know, you refuse to do your wifely duties and, and things like that. And, and, you know, uh, the only way to, you know, you, you need to respect me and, and obey me. It, it's, it's, it's wild. It's nuts. And, um, Crowder's public image uh, seems to be uh, deteriorating rapidly because now Candace Owens, Candace Owens put up a video calling uh, Stephen Crowder a monster. And uh, I don't often agree with Candace Owens, but uh, I agree with Candace Owens on this. He is, uh, he's a really, a, uh, and, and apparently too, there's an accusation that, you know, he had major surgery. Stephen Crowder had major surgery. Candace Owens is claiming that Crowder lied about that. And it was actually an elective surgery. Um, it was cosmetic. It, it's very, very weird stuff, but, uh, check it out online. If you're curious, uh, Steven Crowder. Wow. That guy, that, that guy's a piece of work.
But he's got that cushy deal at Rumble. So shed no tears for him. All right, we got to go. We are out of time. I'm going to close out with this uh, Ramez Garung performance from uh, uh, Rob's show from a number of years ago on uh, Granite State of Mind, uh, him performing the Bob Dylan cover, It Ain't Me, Babe. It's really good. It's really good. But uh, Ramez is going to be uh, tomorrow night at the Hop Knot. Uh, beginning at 7 p.m., performing live, our amazing sponsor. They got a lot going on. We got a lot going on here. Of course, Fridays are big day. I will be back. Big day of the week. I mean, <laughs> I don't mean to, I don't mean this Friday is especially a big day, but I just mean it's a, a big day. Fridays are big here. Busy. <laughs> I'll be back tonight for Retrospection Radio with Paulie C uh, from 8 to 11 p.m. Always a good time. Look forward to that. And uh, I hope to see uh, see some of you fine folks in the Facebook live chat for that show, as you often are. And we appreciate that. And if you miss any part of today's show, it will be up in just a little bit at WMNHradio.org and at my website, MattConnerton.com. That's it. I got to go. I leave you with this from Esgarung and his cover of It Ain't Me, Babe, as performed on Rob Azevedo's Granite State of Mind.